It's midday here on this Wednesday, September 8th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day so far. Got a busy schedule coming up for you here throughout the day. Jason Jorgensen is in with sports. We've got a doubleheader of volleyball for you here on 880 and over on 93.1 The River tonight. He'll fill you in on that. Bob Rogan will tell you how stocks are performing. It sounds like they're uh, taking a step back once again so far on this Wednesday. Paul is out once again. Again, he's out all week, so I'll let you know what the weekend forecast or this week forecast will continue to look like. More seasonal-like temperatures pretty much going to continue across our listening area. But let's head out to the eastern side of the state and catch up with our own Susan Littlefield. Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. The sun's shining, and it definitely had that fall-like feel this morning. Yeah, it seemed, while well, I was looking at temperatures, a lot of the area was uh, upper 40s, lower 50s. Do you know what you had this morning? 52 this morning. Mm. That's still a little cool for this time of year, but again, we're getting closer and closer to fall. Exactly. Well, what do you have coming up for us on midday? We'll kick it off here at 1219 as we continue talking about some things that happened at the Nebraska State Fair, including Larry Schultz. He's the information coordinator with the Lower Loop Natural Resource District. He had a really cool hands-on experiment he did with kids to talk about the importance of watersheds. And then he'll bring us up to date on some big projects that they have going on right now within their district. Uh, Alex will be in at 1245 as she talks with the INR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bain. Recently actually penned a letter to the Ag Secretary regarding meat and poultry processing facilities. He'll share the details of that letter. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as Kansas State University is going to hold a Beef Stalker Field Day. That's coming up in Manhattan and that'll take place on the 30th of this month. So that's a midday from us. Very good. A lot of good stuff coming up. We appreciate it, and have a good day. You as well. Thank you very much. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. And uh, Jason, looking at sports tonight, a lot of volleyball on tap for us. In Omaha, between undefeated Nebraska and undefeated Creighton, the Jays, they stung defending national champion Kentucky over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Huskers have played okay. Big match between those two. They haven't played at the CHI Health Center since 2018, and the last time they did, that was an epic match. Wow. They went five sets, and Nebraska was able to win. That's hard to think that that long mm-hmm. ago that it they was, played there. That they played there. Wow. We'll have the match tonight here on 880KRV. And it's also the home opener for UNK. They open up against the University of St. Mary from Leavenworth, Kansas. We'll have that one tonight at 6, over on 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney. And finally... They get the inducted class Major League Baseball as Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and the late Marvin Miller all go in. I still cannot understand how Derek Jeter was not voted on all 100% of the votes. Mm-hmm. It was like at 997 mm-hmm. yeah. which is an outrage. One, he was a fantastic player. And two, he dated Mariah Carey in her prime. <laughs> I mean, the, come There's on, a, if that's not 100%. The other 0.3% no. was jealousy. That's why it was jealousy. Is it, that's why they said, no, no, no. It, but, hey, I'm just glad we got a Rocky finally in there. Yeah, so, uh, Larry, Larry Walker. Walker. Yeah, finally. All right, uh, Bob Rogan, how are stocks looking so far? Things are down. Down a little bit lower. Investors are staying on the sidelines. They are waiting for some advice from the Federal Reserve. Uh, Investors will get some new information from the Fed later today when the central bank releases its survey of regional business conditions in the U.S. So that's kind of what's putting things down right now. All right. Good. Thanks. 
It is time for Regional Ag Weather Update. I'm Tyler Cavalli, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Well, quiet weather continues this week. The cold front has pushed south and winds have calmed back down. Skies will remain clear aside from some haze from the high-level smoke just behind the front that will move in. Now, fortunately, satellite analysis in the HRR smoke model indicates that a clearer air will move in from the north by later this evening. Temperatures, meanwhile, expected to remain just above seasonal through the weekend. So it's not going to be too cold, not going to be too hot. A small cold front will move through the area on Saturday and could shake the atmosphere just a little. Last night, temps cooling into the upper 40s was the first time it has been that cool in a while. Again, the Ord Airport reporting 40s, not since June. Meanwhile, scattered showers and severe weather moved through the Great Lakes yesterday with some hail and wind damage. Outside of that system, conditions are improving for dry down and early harvest of corn and soybeans. Now, while systems will pass through the region during the next couple of weeks, showers should be more limited, scattered, and light for the most part. Soil moisture is still favorable for winter wheat planting and establishment. Meanwhile, recent recent rainfall in Kansas will be good for winter wheat planting and establishment, but sporadic drought has been popping up around the region lately, and more showers will be necessary to end it. Drier conditions during the next week will benefit dry down of corn and soybeans and early harvest. Recent showers in the northern plains, meanwhile, have put a dent in the ongoing drought, but still remains throughout the region. A few systems will pass through during the next 10 days, but shower chances will be lower and more scattered. That drought does not look to get wiped out anytime soon, unfortunately. Dry weather is expected in the Delta during the next week, favoring maturing soybeans and cotton. Showers may start to pop back up toward the middle of next week. Speaking of cotton, scattered showers are expected in the southeast through Thursday and could be the result of a small tropical system. The rains and potential for flooding may cause some damage to open cotton bowls. Meanwhile, drier conditions are expected in the Black Sea through this upcoming weekend, favoring dry down of summer crops and planting of winter wheat. Soil moisture in Ukraine is much better than in Russia, especially in the Volga Valley where dry conditioning during the summer have limited soil moisture for winter wheat establishment. A system is producing scattered showers across southern Brazil through Thursday, and some of those showers may even develop near Mato Grosso, but the start to wet season is still really only a couple weeks away. Now, winter wheat is seeing improved conditions as it gets further into reproduction and fill while some full-season corn is being planted. Soybeans are restricted from planting for another few days at least, so the showers coming to southern areas in Brazil will benefit soils before planting begins. Finally, a system is bringing more showers to Argentina that should be helpful for developing to reproductive winter wheat. Soil still needs to be moisture, still needs more moisture for soybean and corn planting, and more showers are expected to develop this weekend into early next week in the Argentina region. Again, right now, today, we'll expect temperatures mostly in the 80s across the area, not expecting any region-wide showers and really no chance for any severe storms in the area, as we'll see more and more seasonal temperatures now beginning to pop up as the week goes along into this weekend. Temperatures, again, this evening throughout the listening area could drop down into the upper 50s, or pardon me, in the 50s, if not upper 40s. So just be ready for those cooler temperatures in the overnight hours and early morning to be uh, cool for the next, uh, well, probably the foreseeable future overall. So just make sure you have that jacket. That is your latest KRVN Ag Weather.
If for more, you can visit our website at krvn.com or keep it tuned here to KRVN. The FNBO's Fridays in the Field is underway. Be listening for farm broadcasters all across the state of Nebraska to feature different farmers as they work to grow this 2021 crop. Hey, it's Clay Patton, and this year for Fridays in the Field, we take a detour from row crops to talk with Max Creek Winery and Brewery about the grape and hops crop. Be glad to have you tag along for this year's Fridays in the Field. Join me this growing season in East Central Nebraska as I'll be following Ryan and Katie Pekarik of Rural Butler County. Ryan and Katie, along with their five children, are busy all year round growing over 30 fruits and vegetables as part of their business, Pekarik's Produce. In the Panhandle, we'll be visiting with Jason Harriman of Scott's Bluff. He'll fill us in on his family's operation with corn and soybeans. And we'll find time to talk about the forages they raise for their cow-calf pears in western Nebraska. Tune in every Friday afternoon and on our social media pages as well for the FNBO's Great Big Small Bank Fridays Public Power District. For the Lower Loop Natural Resource District, the Nebraska State Fair offered an opportunity to educate kids about watersheds and more during those largest classroom days. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network, and I sat down with their communications director, Larry Schultz, as we talked about crumpled paper and water. We were in the sustainability pavilion and uh, had an activity called the crumpled watershed. I don't know, Susan, how familiar you are with that. The kids wadded up a piece of paper and created some ridges and some valleys. And uh, then we uh, had them mark the rivers, mark the high points, and uh, where the grass would grow and where they'd put communities, that kind of stuff. And the kids then loved this part. They got to soak the heck out of the paper with water. And uh, then they uh, could see not only that where the water would pool, so so they understood a little bit more about watersheds uh, and drainage and that kind of stuff, but they also saw the erosion because we use soluble markers that would allow the colors to move with the water into those pools and ponds, and uh, that was our goal. We, uh, the kids seemed to really enjoy it and maybe walked away with a better understanding of what a watershed is. It's pretty cool hands-on education that gives them a better idea. That's right, and uh, the only problem was a lot of them wanted to take them with them, and you know, a wet piece of paper is not going to probably be as uh, impressive to anybody as it as it uh, would be if we did something else. But uh, they understood watersheds, and that's what we—that was our goal. You guys at the Natural Resource District are also working on a recharge project uh, for f- folks in the Christopher Cove area of Columbus. Yes, we are. Uh, they have an issue with some uh, declining groundwater levels in the area southeast of town, and so what we have done, and we. We kind of studied that, examined it. It looks like a lot of that is due to the fact that the Lost Creek Flood Project took the water around the community and away from that creek, so there's no recharge there anymore. Groundwater recharge doesn't take place. So what we are doing is proposing a project that would take water after it's been used by the power plant, the Loop Power District, is going to let us tap into their canal. We can take water out of that canal, send it through pipes, recharge the creek, as well as sending it on up to the Christopher Cove area. Uh, that, that homeowner's area has had some issues with uh, lowering uh, water in their uh, subdivision lake. And so we are able to recharge their lake, and that also creates recharge for them. Uh, as far as groundwater goes, and we're able to recharge the groundwater so that we don't affect anybody industrial, we don't affect ag in that area, and uh, no homeowner is going to be affected by it. And uh, what we have is a a win-win-win for us and all our partners, which include uh, the Christopher Cove Homeowners Association, Platte County, the City of Columbus, ADM, 
and uh, a number of other people who uh, have been a huge component of that project. No, that's the wildlife that are going to benefit from that water recharge. You don't think about that, but there are all kinds of side benefits to the project that weren't going to take place. Wonderful project. That flood project is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, but there were some circumstances that no one planned for that also occurred because of it. Talk about the, the, the flooding and what you're doing in Sargent and North Loop area. Well, you know, we've had problems in both areas, and uh, we really noticed those come to the uh, come to uh, peak, I guess, when the bomb cyclone hit. Uh, and so we have been working with both communities to come up with ways to create uh, methods to stop some of that issue with, with flooding. Uh, they're both in an area that doesn't drain well, both communities are, and uh, watersheds that are causing issues with... Uh, so much rain falling in, in peak events in the last couple of years that they've seen flooding that they don't normally get on an annual basis. That is Larry Schultz with the Lower Loop Natural Resource District from the State Fair. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 65. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us in a big night for Nebraska and the state for volleyball. It certainly is. You have the fourth-ranked Huskers, actually the third-ranked Huskers, taking on 19th-ranked Creighton at the CHI Health Center. Over the weekend, the Jays beat defending national champion Kentucky. They also already have a win this year over USC in five. Last time Nebraska and Creighton met up, the health center was uh, on September 6th, 2018, when the Huskers had to fight all the way back from a 2 nothing deficit to win in five in the only five-set meeting between the two programs. Head coach John Cook says this is a great one for the state. The thing that I always uh, am thankful for and admire and respect is, you know, we've got two basically top 10, top 15 volleyball teams going out in the state of Nebraska. And then you throw in Nebraska Omaha. Just makes me proud to be a part of Nebraska volleyball in this state from YMCA all the way up to the Division I colleges. Tyler, a good friend of mine who's the biggest Husker pessimist i've known in my life he's he's worried about this match tonight should be he, he thinks he thinks the jays can get the huskers i would be surprised yeah. they've been playing very well going back to last year i mean granted coach cook was playing some of the the younger kids last week against uh, uh, omaha but they got they had to go five sets to try to beat the mavericks but I, easy. I think Coach Cook, though, is playing mind games, just like Could he be. opens up his press conference by saying Creighton should be ranked second. I mean, <laughs> he's just trying to load up all of the pressure on their shoulders. But it should be fun. Yeah, uh, tonight's match starts at 6.30. We'll bring it to you on 880K or a VN. UNK has its home opener tonight as the 4-0 Lopers welcoming the University of St. Mary from Kansas. UNK is coming off a very successful trip last week to New York City, and head coach Rick Squire says they can't wait to play at home. First of all, again, it will be fantastic to be back at home here in the Health and Sports Center playing in front of people. It's been a long time since we've had you know an official volleyball match here on our campus. Tonight's match begins at 6. We'll bring that one to you on 93.1 The River and 106.9 at Cardia. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and the late Marvin Miller will be enshrined at the National Baseball Hall of Fame today, a year after the induction ceremonies were called off because of the pandemic. The four were chosen last year. No new members have been picked since. So uh, kind of different for a midweek mm-hmm. mm-hmm. ceremony instead of the traditional Sunday afternoon thing, but at least these guys are all getting their due. 
All deserved. Derek Jeter uh, obviously should be in there. Listen, as I mentioned last hour, I'm just glad the Rockies finally have someone in there, even though he was not at a Rocky the entire time. Larry Walker, you know, we'll take what we can get. But it added to his Hall of Fame career. I mean, he's not in a Hall of Fame if it's not for what he did with the Rockies. Correct. There was a couple seasons where, yeah. he, he, you know, it made who he is uh, playing in Colorado. But uh, that's for all those sluggers. You should go to Colorado. They'll be Finish hitting home run after career. home run. Yeah, yeah right. Had those numbers. <laughs> That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thursday on Compass Media Network's coverage of the NFL. A new season is upon us, and the Dallas Cowboys look to make a statement against the defending Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hi, this is Jerry Recco. Join Kevin Ray, Danny White, myself for all the action. Can Dak Prescott and the Cowboys take down Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on the road? It's the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If it's the NFL, it's right here. Catch the biggest NFL games this fall on KRVN. It's time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder has stepped in. And, well, this end of this week, obviously, is especially Saturday, is a, a big date for uh, American history as it's yes. going to be the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Absolutely. And it's uh, known as Patriots Day on mm-hmm. Saturday. Tunnels to Towers CEO Frank Siller continues his walk from the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. to the World Trade Center site in New York City to honor the victims of the September 11th terror attacks two decades ago. Siller gives an update on his progress on the program Fox and Friends. I'll be finished the 537-mile walk. I'll be walking through the tunnel on the morning of September 11th to honor what my brother did 20 years ago. I'm in Bayonne right here with the fire and police department who greeted me this morning. Uh, I'm about ready to go over the Bayonne Bridge, walk through Staten Island. President Biden will travel to New York City, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and the Pentagon to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the attacks. Fire departments from Sumner, Eddyville, and Amherst assisted the Miller Volunteer Fire Department in putting out a house fire in Miller yesterday afternoon. Miller Truck Captain Shannon Schroeder says it was reported at 12.48 p.m. to an abandoned house at 606 West Omaha Street. Once crews were on scene, it didn't take long to put out. Oh, I'd say uh, within 30, 45 minutes, they had it knocked down pretty well, and then we just hit hot spots for probably another hour and a half. Schroeder says the cause of the fire is believed to have been a small bonfire that was not put out completely, and the flame rekindled onto the house. No injuries reported. The Nebraska State Fire Marshal is conducting the investigation. And a new federal report says solar energy has the potential to power up to 40% of the nation's electricity within 15 years, but it would require massive changes in U.S. policy and billions of dollars in federal investment to modernize the nation's electric grid. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Air Real. You might remember in early July, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack was set to visit the Cornhusker State for a major announcement on behalf of the USDA. It didn't quite work out that he came to Omaha. He actually ended up visiting Council Bluffs. But that's where they had conversations about the importance of meat processing facilities 
in the Midwest and beyond. And so today we are actually joined on the phone by IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, I understand you recently penned a letter to the Ag Secretary to show your support behind this issue. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely spot on. Good memory. Secretary Vilsack there in Council Bluffs talked about a number of key things. The right to repair was also another another pretty important discussion point, uh, really thinking about meat and poultry processing um, from the producer all the way to the consumer and thinking about the dynamics of the economics of that, that chain of production. And that was a topic. But uh, as you mentioned, another key point that he made was really thinking back I, I have to believe really tied to what happened a year ago when COVID hit and the larger meat packing facilities, poultry processors were uh, were getting jammed up here in the Midwest and the High Plains. It really show, showed a bright light, shown a bright light on our smaller processors, uh, both those that are um, custom exempt, but also on the small federally USDA inspected packers and, and lockers. So I think, you know, number-wise, seven to eight very large meat poultry processing facilities in Nebraska. But then on top of that, we have somewhere close to 80 small and very small packers um, or processors or meat lockers. Uh, bottom line, uh, what, what, what was promised there was that the secretary uh, indicated that the um, Food Safety Inspection Service within the USDA, or FSIS for short, would be getting a $500 million infusion that was all tied. That investment would be tied for uh, to opportunities for meat and poultry processors, especially the small, very small, thinking about their infrastructure, thinking about workforce, um, thinking about um, labor complexities, thinking about local meat systems. It was a big deal. And so what ended up happening, the FSIS put out a call for uh, open comment. Uh, we were, uh, along with, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Nebraska Farmers Union, the Nebraska Cattlemen, the Nebraska Farm Bureau, and IENR, we all put comments in giving FSIS some thoughts about what and how they might go about spending that $500 million to really help accelerate and uh, amplify, augment the impact that these small meat lockers, processors, and the critical role they play in local food systems, uh, and even the global food system, um, how they might help advance that that sector of the meat industry. So you penned this letter to Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. 30,000-foot perspective, I guess. What are some key takeaways from this that you hope he sees, especially, you know, concerning the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources and the state of Nebraska? Yeah, so the high level, we thought uh, education is really important. So as we think about um, producers uh, and, and, in fact, small processors, if you think about it, uh, you know, 531 communities in Nebraska, and so I'm pretty sure folks can relate to um, you know, these are oftentimes these small processors connected with uh, grocery stores or, or butcher counters. Uh, these are multi-generation uh, family passing it on from one person to the next generation to the next generation. And if you're really lucky, you have an amazing, you know, lineage and you learn, you learn on the job. 
Um, sometimes that works great, sometimes not so great. Uh, but other times, the uh, the educational opportunity, whether that's, say, at a, a, a technical college like NCTA over there in Curtis in Frontier County or perhaps at the local meat lab here in Lincoln where we uh, think about, you know, bachelor's degree programming. Education, education, education is really important. And so we, we put in our, our letter uh, the importance that maybe the federal government would be wise to consider investing in a variety of programs really focused on hands-on, hands-on training that are tailored to uh, the next generation of small processors and employees. We thought that uh, along with this, that there were opportunities to develop um, actual physical training sites and maybe a training blueprint that could be established in partnership with Extension and other entrepreneurial efforts to uh, work with these small and very small packers and processors that if we get it right in Nebraska could be picked up and actually uh, scaled up on a national level. So kind of net net 30,000 foot view, we were wrapping our comments around the notion of creating a small processing plant of the future uh, here that would really incorporate new innovations, consumer driven management practices, and really think about things like um, how do you design uh, for flexibility uh, around precision livestock technology. Uh, how do you think about humane handling of livestock? What about uh, size agnostic uh, harvest and fabrication training platform? Um, what about workforce development? What about climate smart, uh, energy efficient technologies and infrastructure uh, plants? Um, yeah, think about equipment, uh, packing equipment that allows for hands-on training to, uh, you know, once you process to fabricate uh, the final cut. Uh, we talked about regulatory compliance assistance, uh, worker health and safety considerations, so forth and so on. So we talked about a lot of things uh, in our letter. Um, many of the same thoughts were coming out of these uh, the other letters from the entities I mentioned to you. All right. Great information. As always, Mike, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Again, we've been visiting with IA and our Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studios, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. And a great deal more. Stocks are edging lower on Wall Street as investors remain on the sidelines until they get more guidance from the Federal Reserve, as well as the direction of the coronavirus pandemic. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan with the Business Report. The S&P 500 index was down one-tenth of a percent in early trading. The Dow Jones Industrial Average also slipped one-tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq Composite was off three-tenths of a percent. Investors will get some new information from the Federal Reserve later today when the central bank releases its survey of regional business conditions in the U.S. U.S. employers once again posted a record number of job openings in July, a sign that the labor market was bouncing back from last year's coronavirus recession. The Labor Department says job openings rose to 10.9 million in July from the previous record 10.2 million in June. But the department's job openings and labor turnover survey report showed that actual hiring dipped slightly to 6.7 million in July from 6.8 million in June. Layoffs rose slightly to 1.3 million. 
Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is telling Congress that she will run out of maneuvering room to keep from broaching the government's borrowing limit during the month of October. In a letter to congressional leaders, Yellen said that she still could not provide a specific date for when she will be unable to keep the government funded absent action by Congress to raise the debt limit. But she said, based on our best and most recent information, the most likely outcome is that cash and extraordinary measures will be exhausted during the month of October. A new federal report says solar energy has the potential to power up to 40% of the nation's electricity within 15 years, a tenfold increase over current solar output, but it would require massive changes in U.S. policy and billions of dollars in federal investment to modernize the nation's electric grid. That report comes from the Energy Department's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob. In Madrid. Learning more about stalker cattle is an opportunity coming up through Kansas State University. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, the 2021 annual K-State Beef Stalker Field Day is set for Thursday, September 30th. It'll be at KSU's Beef Stalker Unit. K-State Beef Cattle Specialist Dave Blasey is discussing the different presentations that are going to take place, saying that the program is open with a producer panel. Over the last several years, Beef Magazine has sponsored uh, an annual National Beef Stalker Award. You know, in Kansas, uh, we're certainly no shortage of leaders in this particular sector of the industry. And we're fortunate to have Mike Collins from Hamilton, Kansas, and Rich Porter from Redding, Kansas. In addition, we have Dave Steinbecker, Jr. from Perryville, Missouri, and John Paul Pendergrass from Charleston, Arkansas, will be on this producer panel to basically address what has worked for us and what we see into the future. So uh, it's always good to try to glean as much information as we can from folks that have distinguished themselves in our industry. After lunch, there'll be speakers that will address a couple of important aspects of feeding newly delivered stalker calves. This year, our sponsor is Huva Pharma. Dr. Joe Diedrichson, uh, one of their tech vets, will talk about how you can manage BRD and coccidiosis effectively with receiving rations for calves coming into the backgrounding yard. We've invited Dr. John Richardson from West Texas A&M University to talk about some of his very novel approaches to starting newly arrived calves on feed. I thought his research would certainly be of interest to our producers to hear his thoughts and to see if potentially they may be able to modify their feeding approaches to what he has to say. So I'm looking forward to hearing his message. And of course, wrapping up the program at K-State will be the beef veterinarian to share information from a brand new research she's been doing. Our extension beef veterinarian in the department, Dr. A.J. Tarpoff, he recently completed some research just the, the first part of this year looking at multiple castration methods in stalker cattle. And Dr. Tarpoff and others in the College of Vet Med took a rather novel approach using thermography to actually measure the healing process and collecting testosterone to quantify the effectiveness of castration. And so I'm very much looking forward to the results of what he has to share with everyone. Those interested in attending are asked to register on or before September 15th. You can find out more information by going to ksubeef.org.
Org. Well, there is some new information out on certain segments of the beef cattle industry that needs some producers to review. It's the 2021 National Stalker Survey. It's just been released. K-State Beef Cattle Specialist and Co-Coordinator of the survey is Dale Blasey. And Dale discusses the information on it, where the survey revealed that the cow-calf producers might be more inclined to retain ownership of those calves a little longer. What we found, at least one point uh, from the survey, is how many more cow-calf producers are actually uh, retaining ownership on their cattle and being called backgrounders or stalkers, as opposed to our traditional mindset with stalker production, where basically the primary role of the stalker and backgrounder segment was to go through a very diverse population of calves and sort accordingly and comments this afternoon have been from k-state's dale blasey i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network nine zero zero Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's touch base on the closing markets, uh, grain markets anyway, with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing, Chicago Publisher of the newsletter this weekend. Grain. John, as we come into the close, soybeans, kind of the one bright spot on the day. Wheat, though, just struggling to get up off the mat overall. What did you see as the biggest pressure towards the wheat? Uh, it's hard to tell, really. You know, we're in the early part of the cycle where, uh, you know, deliveries being made. We had Stats Canada come out, and I think there was a little more supply than we thought there would be. But, you know, that's a market right now that's going to struggle if corn's going to trade at five. Um, specifically in Minneapolis, I mean, you could, I don't know, I'm not looking at a chart here, but i got to think a $4 spread uh, from cash to front month to front month is, is probably a lot of why we've seen, um, if not, you know, maybe a record. Uh, in the case of KC, you know, it did fall kind of back to that $7 price point. I think you've seen, you know, good moisture in the ground up there and, um, you know, my, my take of the year will be that those guys up there are going to plant. They're not going to go to the bean rotation. They're going to go to wheat on near gated and hope to double crop behind it. Uh, I think that's the play for, for the folks I talked to around Dodge City. And, um, you know, so far the market's rewarding them to do that. They got 1250 new crop beans and, um, you know, the wheat right now in July is trading north of $7. We go over to that uh, soybean market. Of course, China back in the market with the USDA flash sale to kick things off. We did see, actually, though, uh, a slight uptick yesterday in the crop progress ratings. Really, from what the clients you're talking with, are, are we thinking maybe USDA has the opportunity to try and move this data up on Friday? Maybe they do. I don't know. I'm kind of moving past the point where I think it matters in the long run. I mean, you look at what the USDA did in the last numbers, and it's, it's really hacked supplies and, and uh and put some more demand on the table than we thought, and we ended up with a carryover that was well below um, below what we were expected, and we printed the high. I mean, that was the that was the high close of the week. So at this point in time, I think there's a, there's a struggle to understand, you know, fundamentally how they're doing their numbers, and you can get really lost in the sauce when it comes to it. At this point in time, I look at the weather; everything looks pretty good. You know, it makes sense. You have river basis has collapsed because of NOAA and. Uh, you know, I think this is worst-case scenario, but we're still still at $5 new crop price for next year, and I think that should hold the September is holding so far. I look for Dees to trade better once you get beyond the report. That is John Payton, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in Grain. You can always learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, danielzagmarketing.com, the website to visit. Do remember, though, that trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. If you'd like to listen to, uh, to John or several of our brokers throughout the day, always catch the podcast again at ruralradionetwork.com. 
Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Midday. Catch the Midday podcast anywhere that podcasts can be found or at krvn.com.